May I have your attention, please? You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. The following show may be explicit. I said no, you can't play a ninja. This is an old west game, and they didn't have ninjas. But the year is 1869, and there are historical records indicating there were ninjas. In fucking Japan, not in the old west. I said no. You're already railroading me. You're already railroading me. You're already railroading me now. Why do you? It's just like the last game. have to play on. It's just like the last game. Thank you for joining us for Season 15, Episode 5 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Chris. This is Stork. And I'm the secret square, Phil Vecchione. <laughs> the center square. <laughs> the Paul Lynn. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, Sammy. <laughs> hmm. So how have you been, Phil? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm hustling because it's, uh, you know, days away from Gen Con, so... Oh, I'm it? trying to get all. I'm trying to get my spousal karma in before I leave my wife with the kids <laughs> for five days. You're a smart man. Gen Con, yeah, yeah, okay, rubbing it in, fine, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I gotta get a Gen Con, guys. You know it is. <laughs> yeah, we gotta fly over the like, huge mountain ranges to get there. Right, and then like book go. it like weeks or months or years <clears throat> ahead of time. I tried booking a room for next year. You can't. They already have them blocked out. No, I'll, I'll tell you, you got to stay outside the city. If you stay outside the city, they don't block them. So I get my hotel room, which is like, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes outside the city. I get it. I get it like the day I get home from Gen Con. I just book the room. Really? Yeah. No hmm. kidding. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't get, you know, you're not, it's, it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's good because you don't have to fight the impossible housing block. Um, it's a pain if you're going to stay down super late, but you know, like I'm already now in my mid forties. So am I staying up till three o'clock in the morning? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to go home or something and sleep. So, right. um, but I mean, it's 10 minutes, which, you know, you pay a little for parking, but we park right in the convention center and, uh, I don't have to fight for housing or pay any kind of crazy housing block prices. And I, you know, stay in a uh, what is it? Residence in. So I got like a kitchen and a, a place to game in the living room and that kind of thing. That's cool. It's still better than uh, Comic Con where people actually stay in LA and take the train down in the morning mm-hmm. to go because there's is no, there are no hotels for no. like the there's hundred no miles stay. between. No to park. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. The, well, I, I, apparently, the the big the big trick for uh, Comic Con up until a couple of years ago was to rent a boat. Yeah, <laughs> and stay oh. off offshore. Is people were like they bring their boat in and put it up on a sloop or whatever and say yeah you know you know five hundred bucks a night to stay on my boat you know what my but sister now everyone this knows year that. she did an Airbnb for her and her family and that worked out well the, I would imagine for Comic Con those those would be booked she got one and not ex- all really that no kidding advance, yeah. wow hmm? that'd be pretty brilliant it would be your sister's a comic book geek oh uh, her son's are oh very good that was nice yeah. take her 
I don't know if I want even want to go to San Diego anymore. It's just turned into it's just it's like hundreds of thousands of I know. people. It's crazy. And you but want to go meet the artist like and you have to Gen wait Con. in a two hour line. I would like to go to Gen Con one day. Yeah. One day I'll go to Gen Con. <laughs> I like the I, I, thanks for the tip. I like the idea of of not fighting for a hotel room. <laughs> you have to rent a car though too. You have that. Well, you probably would rent a car anyway, right? Or mass transit. It, yeah. it, is parking crazy during Gen Con? Um, downtown, I mean, it, if you sleep in it, it is. I mean, if you get up reasonably early and get downtown, parking's not too bad. I, I keep forgetting you guys would have to rent a car. I drive down because I'm, oh, oh. I'm eight hours out. So it's like just about the, you know, it's it's an easy day. It's an easy full day drive. But, you know, then we have a car mm. while we're, you know, while we're there. It's, could, it's in, in Indiana? Where is it? Yeah, in Indianapolis. Okay, Indianapolis. Do they drive on the right side of the road there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Still. <laughs> okay. You could Uber or Lyft it. I'm sure they have those there, too. You are? You're oh, sure about I that? That's somebody making a killing doing that. Oh, Uber. Can you imagine? Oh, jeez. Because the, the, the cost for Uber goes up with the demand. Yeah. That could get crazy. I might just go rent a car and not even go to the con and just drive for <laughs> drive it right to make money. <laughs> That's a there's your million dollar idea for the week, right? Oh, there. you need to you need to ride your hotel, no problem. One thousand dollars, please. <laughs> you're a geek, you're gamefully employed, I'm sure. <laughs> so we didn't come on here to talk about Gen Con. No. We came on here no. to talk about your brand new exciting book. For, is it engine publishing that put it it's putting yeah. it out? Yep, it's Engine Publishing, and uh, it's called Focal Point. Mm-hmm. And, and give us the uh, elevator pitch. The elevator pitch. So Focal Point is um, all about the... It's it's all the jamming tips for actually running the game at the table. So previous Engine books, uh, like Never Unprepared and Odyssey, that covered stuff that GMs did away from the table. Never Unprepared was all about session prep. Odyssey was all about campaign management. Uh, but we, you know, we realized as we were writing the other two that, you know, there was a whole book of, you know, the shit you do at the table. Um, so we figured we would take a crack at that. And uh, the book's broken up into three parts because it basically covers the three major things you wind up doing as a GM. So you're an entertainer, you are a storyteller, and uh, you are a facilitator. Mm-hmm. And so it, it dives into each one of those sections in multiple chapters and kind of looks at... Uh, what are the skills for you know each one of those roles, and you know how you can kind of improve upon uh, each one? Okay. Um, you also use a, a, a device, a narrative device, which I thought was really brilliant. And basically, you've set it up as a film company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually, in part, came about because the the book had like seven working titles at, at, um, through the course of the time we wrote it. Uh, one of them was actually lights, camera, action. But um, when we Googled it, like that, you couldn't get it to you know you couldn't get it to show up. Right, there's a lot of those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know we wound up going focal point because it was um, it was more distinct. But yeah, the we'd had that idea um, running through most of while we were writing it that you know essentially when you look at it, you're really talking about those three things, you know, the lights, which is, you know, basically the entertainer side camera, which is the, you know, filming the actual story uh, action, which is like actually getting shit done at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Someone in the forum is asking if these are genre specific books or do they, what, what, excuse me, we're talking, are they talking about something else? They're talking about something else entirely. Never mind. They're not even paying attention to us. I, <laughs> I will say that they are completely system neutral though. So all of the okay. engine publishing books are system neutral. Okay. 
Excellent. Let me just say uh, before we continue that uh, if you are listening live, the Q&A is open. If you have any questions during the course of the show, and if you'd like to listen to the show live, you can listen to us at happyjacks.org slash live or live. And that's uh, going to be on Saturday mornings at 1030 Pacific time for the foreseeable future. I think it changes mid-month and then it's going to go back to Fridays. So anyway, back to the book. <laughs> so when, um, so let walk me through, let's say I'm, I'm a, a, a beginning GM. Mm-hmm. Um, where am I, where, <clears throat> where do, where do I want to start? If I've never GM before, I've been a player for a few times and I'm going to run a game for the first time and I, and I pick up and I pick up this book. Where do I want to start? So I think if you, as if you're going to start, I think you start just with you know one read through of the book. Don't worry about uh, don't worry about incorporating everything that you read. And in fact, what we did to kind of make it fun was at the end of each chapter there is a list of uh, achievements to unlock. So there's six things at the end of each chapter that you can try to incorporate into your future games because. Unlike um, unlike Never Unprepared and Odyssey, which you could you know pull out while you're prepping your games or working on your campaign away from the table, you're not going to be able to take Focal Point out in the middle of a game and start flipping through it to, to figure out what to do next. How to improvise? Uh, page forty-seven. Right. Right. You check in the right. You can't do that. So, uh, so what we did was we you know we at the end of each chapter we put these little achievements in so that um, these little challenges so that you can basically unlock the achievements uh, in each chapter and so uh, that idea is then you know for a new for a new GM read through the whole book and then when you're ready to start playing pick like one or two of those um, one of those one or two of those challenges from anywhere in the book anywhere that grabs you and work them into your session mm-hmm. and then just keep doing that over time. Can you give us an example of what one of those one of those challenges is? I'm looking at. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, Phil can talk. It's his book, but I'm reading some right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just I I can you know I'll do one off my head in the chapter on uh, keeping attention at the table. There, it gives a couple of um, tricks, and you know, one of the easiest ones is basically you know kicking the door with ninjas. You know. Okay. Uh, fitting for this thing, but you know, work that into um, you know work that into your story that you know. Uh, kind of have on the side an extra encounter to drop in, you know, if things kind of uh, hit a lull or your players start to lose focus. Okay. Yeah, you have. It, it, are you talking about the challenges, right? At the end of each. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. It, it's interesting because Stu has this book of cards here that are sort of a very similar thing, where it just sort of gives you creative, gives you creative suggestions of stuff. And so these challenges really are sort of these little, almost, almost like a little worksheet, like a way to challenge yourself instead of just going by route like we all do. Why don't you try this? It's a way to sort of shake it up, and I think it's really smart if people pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it, I, I hope people. I hope people like them. They were, you know, it was it was kind of a way. I mean, it was like I said, it was a way for us to figure out how do we put, how do we get you to take the stuff that you've read and actually put it into, um, into practice in your game. Right, because people are afraid of change, so that's why it's a challenge. Like I'm looking at one here. It says, create slash use a mystery adventure that has no combat encounters whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I think that that's anathema to a li- the way a lot of people play. I don't think they ever think about that. They're yeah. like, no, what, no combat? Well, that can, that's going to be boring. No, try it. Exactly, exactly. And then you may find out that your players hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I like combat. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, basically, basically, the book is written on you know the bones of uh, many a dead game and campaign. So, you know, we try to, <laughs> we, you know, there are little sidebars that kind of tell you things that have you know that have worked or gone horribly wrong for all of us, um, in in hopes that you will not have to recreate the wheel yourself. To me, reading through it, it, it seems to be a real. Uh, you can take an Odyssey and you've taken Never Unprepared and sort of put them together and really fleshed it out because you really cover everything in this. You've got everything from acting like an adult to dealing with trouble, <laughs> troubling players. You've got everything from introducing plot hooks to um, you know uh, even even shortening games. I mean, you really have covered a lot of ground. I, I would have loved to have seen the outline and the Venn diagram that you guys had set up to make this book. Yeah, well, there's three authors for uh, you know one for each section. So you know, Never Unprepared, I wrote. Uh, as a solo project, and then for Odyssey, I brought in Walt Chanowski to help me uh, with Odyssey because campaigns are much bigger than you know talking about prepping individual sessions. And then when we decided to do uh, Focal Point, we actually brought in one more of the Gnome Stew writers, John Arcadian, because uh, John's really known for uh, having he did the he did the uh, um, light section, so he's really known for having all these crazy props at his games and mm. and things like that, and so. Um, I knew I couldn't write that section. That you know, that's actually my probably weakest point as a GM, is all those props and all that kind of the high entertainment um, value. So, I really wanted um, somebody who was solid in doing that to come in and write to write that section. And then, uh, same thing with Walt. Walt is um, uh, Walt's the line developer for Victoriana by um, Cubicle Seven. Mm-hmm. And um, he is fantastic at writing adventures and that part. And so, you know, he fit perfectly into the uh, story section, so the camera part. And uh, then I basically took, you know, a lot of stuff I learned um, in the corporate world as a project manager. And, and that's kind of where the facilitation section, the action section comes from. It makes a lot of sense. Do you? Uh, it seems to me that the three books play very well together. It's a, it's a trilogy, is it not? Yeah, we, we we called it the unexpected trilogy because we didn't we didn't start out that way. It's just that in writing each book, we came up with the idea that oh, we should there's probably another book we should be writing after this one because we had come up with ideas that didn't fit um, into the outline for the you know for the book we were writing at the time. Uh, now Chris over here is just sort of been perusing through it. She's yeah. she's never GM'd a game before. In yeah. fact, I said just before the show started, I said, "Why don't you GM?" She goes, "No, too soon." And then there was a pause. She goes, "Although <laughs> reading this book, I'm really enjoying it's the read. Help, it's I mean, helping it's, a lot." Yeah. <laughs> so it's I think that's high praise right there. That somebody who's who's never considered ever GMing before, in just skimming through the book and the places that she has, is like, "Oh, this, oh, that makes sense." Has already given her confidence. I, I don't talk like that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and do you, do you talk about cell phones? Uh, yeah, that's in the atten- actually that's in the attention chapter about you know, um, you know, and you know, I don't take a hard stance on it. I mean, I I think at one point, I think I've I think I've done everything across the entire spectrum from you know, lock your cell phones in a box to um, I don't care, text whoever you want while phone. we're playing. Um, I, I mean, I've done all of those, and I and I I game with a number of people who are on call. For, for work, so we can't, add, you know, there's no banning cell phones, but... Um, oh, that, yeah, that's you're not going to put that genie back on the bottle anymore. Nah, that no. thing's out. So, yeah. it talks about in the book, um, you know, and it actually takes the, um, in a somewhat meaner stance, you know, it it turns some of the blame onto the GM and says, you know, if your players are more interested in their phones than the game, 
you might want to check your own, you know, your own game as well. Like, you may not be delivering as interesting stuff as you think you are. You know what, though? Fallout Shelter, Shelter is a really good game, and I can, I can do that <laughs> instead of breathing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you there, because I, I think that, that, that there's so... And I, and I think as, as younger generations are getting more and more accustomed to having them... Um, I'm seeing like a, a difficulty in engaging mentally with, you know, tasks that aren't constantly exciting and, and constantly in your face. And, and a lot of times, a lot of role-playing games aren't like that most of the time. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And, and, go ahead. And I think it's you know, and I think that um, I mean ultimately, I think the real the real way when you when you talk about something like cell phones is that if everybody's staying engaged in the game, and you know on their on their player downtime sections when the spotlight's not on them, if they're quietly checking their phone and not disrupting anybody else at the table, like who cares? Like right. I, I mean that that's I mean that's ultimately after the pendulum spoke, swung in both directions. I mean that's ultimately what I got down to at my own table was. You know, do what you got to do on your phone. I just need you to be attentive and present in the game when when you're in the seat. Mm -hmm. And if you can right. manage, if you can multitask anything else while doing that, good for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you get, I mean, you get, and it depends on the person too. I mean, there are some people. It's like, it's your turn, Bob. It's your turn, Bob. It's your turn. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, what do you want to do? Um. Oh, are we in combat? Oh, huh. <laughs> There's that guy, and then you have you know the the other, the other side of the aisle where someone can literally be having a conversation with someone they're sitting next to while they're texting someone else or something else, and and both of them are happening happening seamlessly. And yeah, but yeah, I've got I've basically gotten to the same same place where it's like I, I really don't care as long as it's not as long as it's not distracting from the game. Exactly, matter. and you know honestly, when I play. I, it's really hard for me when I play because I'm so used to GMing and GMing is like pretty much on the whole time Yeah. that when I play, like I have to, I, I mean, if it's not my phone, it's taking notes or something, but I have to be doing something else because that downtime kills me. Like, I, I'm, I'm the so same way. On. Yeah. <laughs> I do the exact same thing in the traveler game. I'm like keeping coping. I, when, when, when Bill's running his traveler game, yeah. I have a one note session open yeah. where I'm keeping notes of the stuff he's telling us, so I... That's what I'm like... I used to draw, like, my character or other people's characters, because, again, it just gave me something to do when I was right. able to listen and still be engaged, and, you know, and then as, as I picked up stuff, they would add it to the character sheet, so in a way, it was sort of a way... But you're right, you do have to, you do have to stay engaged. Is there a note on that in your book somewhere about players staying engaged? I'm pretty sure that's... I mean, if it's going to be anywhere, it's definitely in the attention chapter. Yeah, I'm in the wire attention strays section oh, okay. right now. There's also one here. I was looking at setting the stage. There's a, At the very top of it, it was, I found really interesting. It's like, have a social hour in a spot other than the gaming area, which is something that people think don't think about. They figure That's an interesting idea. If you that really is. Because people show up and they need, to, they need to kibitz for a while before right. they're ready to settle down gaming. It's like, call everything up a little bit ahead of time, away from the gaming session, kibitz, have pizza, everybody, you know, get your hellos out of the way, and then you go in and game, because they've got all their stuff out of the way. Right. Yeah, I mean, we usually... build that into the time. Yeah. My, oh, sorry, go ahead. my group usually has dinner together um, mm -hmm. at my house with, you know, like my kids are there and everything else. And we, you know, we do it upstairs, um, you know, in the middle of the house. And then when it's time to play, we then all shuffle downstairs 
you know, into the game room and start playing. Because yes, I play in my basement. <laughs> like, like you do, right? We live in Cali- I, it couldn't be more stereotypical. Yes, we, we live in, in California. Basement. We don't have basements. You do. You have a creepy yeah. root cellar. I have a root <laughs> cellar. That's 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 the exception, though. It's very rare. It is rare. It's perfect for Call of Cthulhu games, but that's it. <laughs> oh my god, that would be the creepiest place in the world to play. Especially with all the flies on the ceiling. Oh yeah, the <laughs> century-old spider webs hanging everywhere. Yeah, it's creepy. I found a rabbit carcass down there. Mm. <laughs> Props. That's 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 there in the is. <laughs> Or what is it setting the scene, right? The yeah. set. <laughs> yeah, I think there were I think the I think the mice were building a like a totem to the the rat god or something. Ew. It's cre- yeah, there was like there's like this stack of Pyramid straw. Skulls? Okay. No, it was it was like like straw like pulled out of a a broom that uh-huh. was like all stacked up at one point. It's like Blair Witch Project or something. No shit. That's exactly. I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm the only one that'll go down there because the kids would love to go down there, but Heather won't let them go down there. And, and Heather wouldn't go down there because of the spiders. So I'm the only person that ever goes down there and I go down there. And the only time I do is like before Halloween or before Christmas to get the decorations. Uh, That's all that's down there. I go down there and I'm like, there's someone has built like this little pyramid of straw from a broom and it wasn't there the last time i had been there i'm telling you it's you should i'm gonna run a mouse guard based on this <laughs> uh, it was creepy that would be an interesting place to game though <laughs> let's not, not it's the right kind of game it's a good time i'll it's, stand up here it's unfinished though <laughs> well like if you want to play vampire i mean <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the crypt <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay uh, a couple of notable chapters, a couple of pages I really liked. I actually have bookmarked here. On page 95, wait, which wait, is wait. under the uh, uh, preparing the shoot thing, I really like your list here. And I'm just going to list the, uh, is it, the adventure is rarely a straight line, which I think is something people forget these days because they're all so used to video games and very linear constructs. And I think a lot of people build games in a linear way. And it's nice to see that right at the top of the list. The other one is you don't have control. And that's something Happy Jacks has always espoused, which is... Uh, you, you know, you got to roll with it. You got a yes and, and mm-hmm. when you say yes and, you give up a lot of control, right? Mm-hmm. You're basically handing the control to the players, and you were rolling with it. Uh, another neat one is time is relative, because when you're in a game, you could jump ahead generations. In you know, it's like a comic book. You turn the page, and suddenly it's you know two years later. Uh, rules of reflection and arguments take up time. Now, that's something people th- remember. They start to argue, and, and they chew up a lot of t- time, you know? And the, it's like, why is the game 10 hours? Because you spent four of them arguing. Or you're playing fourth edition. <laughs> <laughs> and another one, if you aren't prepared, it can be a short session. I would also say if you're not prepared, it can be a really long session, too, where you spend a lot of time flipping through books yeah. and writing up monster yeah. stats. But uh, those, are, I thought, were some just really great points. And I, I just read them here so that if anybody's on the fence about getting the book, stuff like that, this, this book is chock full of info like that. Oh, that brings up an interesting point. If someone were interested in getting this book, where would they find it? Uh, yeah, I think it is still on pre-order. So you can go to enginepublishing.com and uh, you can uh, pre-order it now. And pre-ordering it will get you the physical book when they uh, print and ship, but they'll get you the PDF right away so you'll as soon as you place your order you'll have the pdf in your hands 
Uh, and then the book will make its way. Uh, when pre-orders close, which I think will be in another week or so, probably in the beginning of August, uh, then it'll go up on drive-thru in PDF format, and then um, eventually, uh, as the print copies make their way around, uh, it'll eventually, by fall, make its way into uh, your friendly local gaming stores. Excellent. Yep. I'm I'm getting it. It's a good yep. book. It's a good yep. book to have. Just to even... I think even if you're an experienced GM, it's nice to remind yourself of this stuff now and again. Because we get caught up in ruts. We forget stuff. We, you know, we're getting old. We don't even remember, like, what we had for dinner last night. Well, I, it's like I, I've always said. It, it, everyone runs a game a little differently than everyone else. Yeah. And, and it, it is a great experience if you only GM to sit down at another GM's table and and as a player and also observe their GMing techniques because invariably there will be stuff that you see them do that like, oh, that's an interesting way it's to do It's absolutely that. invaluable. <clears throat> yeah. That's why I say that everybody that goes to a con, if you're just GMing, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go and play a game, at least a game so you can see somebody else's style even if you don't like the style you learn from it mm -hmm. yeah. but I, I think that that's a really important thing people need to do is get out there and see the other ways because you're going to find things that people do that that are genius you're like why didn't i consider that <laughs> done Absolutely. stealing it excellent all right uh should we go on to the emails yeah we have a lot of them huh the first They're email long. is from reverend k hunt which i think is a pseudonym I really? <laughs> <laughs> he he was merciful and he did a, a too long didn't read section in the front. And I propose it's and if someone would like to second this that we read the TLDR and see if we can answer his question without reading the following four pages of email. Because <laughs> it is four pages. It just goes on. I will days. second that nomination. Oh, thank you. There's a motion on the table to <laughs> forego the entire email. Yes, please. All in yes. favor say aye. 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 Okay. Aye. You guys have it. Otherwise, I'm just getting a beer now. Do you yeah, want to do you want to take this one, Phil, since you're our guest? Well, yeah, since, since we've agreed to do the TLDR, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, time is relative. Yes. All right, here we go. Um, from Reverend K. Hunt. Uh, the players ignored my plot hooks to follow their own path because I yes-ended them, and also fate, uh, <laughs> inadvertently bolstering their biggest enemy to the point that they may not be able to take it out while completely forgetting it exists 90% of the time, taking all the drama of it looming over them out of the picture. How do I remind them that the bad guys they work for want them to do things they shouldn't when everything they do instead of, rec instead of recognize they have jobs is actually much better for the bad guys, but makes the looming big bad as visible and important as a woman's opinion in the 1890s. Well, I'm thinking King. Ah, the good old days. I'm thinking King Guru wrote this, especially with the uh, with his uh, his uh, affection for uh, the K Hunt. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. All right, so he's got a he's got a a big bad. It's a corporation. I think this is a cyberpunk game because I read through the, yep. the the tome that follows, and they're basically kind of ignoring the fact that it exists. How do you how how does he remind them and get them refocused back on the fact that there's this big looming bad thing out there? So I, I think I think he needs to put something into the game that's going to contrast it. So, uh, you know, let, bring in some NPCs that the players like, and then have the corporation do something terrible to them. 
you go. so that they can kind of see it from outside of their own perspective. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, my whole thought was to just have, like, the agents show up now and again and saying, you are running late. We are here to make sure that you stay on target. Or, I mean, certainly if these people are just gallivanting around and they've been hired by a, a big corporation to do something, the corporation's going to start getting a little concerned when they're not actually accomplishing their task. So they're going to hire somebody, and this is, I was reading a book right now where they have a, a guy that's sort of their troubleshooter that shows up and not so gently reminds them, like breaking kneecaps and you things. You called the wolf? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and to put a spin on that, so I'm going to yes end your idea. What if the people they send are the, quote, good guys, and suddenly it occurs to the players that the good guys have been coming after them because the people they work for are so terrible? Mm -hmm. Are we the baddies? Have you? Yeah, we've got skulls on our, on our hands. <laughs> the and, and you know, the other possibility, as I read through this, the 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 rest of this email, it's very apparent the players are having a blast in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Ha is it really broken? Is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there really a problem here? Yes, they're not. They're. He, but he he's afraid that when things finally come to a head with this large corporation, that it's going to be like a total party kill, and that the corporation, everything they're doing is like benefiting this this millennium. Is that the name of it? I don't remember. I think the name was, was Millennium. Everything is like benefiting them and and just making them stronger and more powerful. And by the time they actually get, when it all comes to a head, and they're going to have to actually confront them, they're just going to get steamrolled over. Mm. That's his concern. Maybe be a little less true to the backstory of the bad guys that's going on. Yeah. You know, if that's a concern. Or give them fair warning. Like, like, have things happen. Like he's, like, like Phil said, have NPCs that horrible shit happens to them. Oh, we foreclosed on your homes and, and burned them down and turned them into Starbucks or whatever. <laughs> and Or whatever it is they did. Um, and, and do those things so that the players can see that the things are getting bad. And then when the real thing finally comes and that they do get steamrolled over, just don't outright kill them. Let them get steamrolled and then pick up the pieces afterwards and see, oh, then maybe try, maybe it changes the entire timbre of the game at that point And it suddenly becomes a, okay, this one corporation has now taken over the world. How are we going to stick our thumb in their eye? Oh. I mean, I would love to flip it on its ear when they go in to make the final confrontation and Dr. Doom is sitting there and he says, you know, he gives them a slow clap, right? And then he plays a fanfare and pins a medal on them because <laughs> they have, they have like helped him so much. And at some point they're going to really, you know, when they get there to confront him and he's like, I would like to thank you all for making us the most successful corporation on the planet. You have done your job admirably. You have, uh, you know, and they're going to realize oh, shit, did we fuck up? But you've turned the tables, right? And now right. they're not really the enemy. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there's no reason for us to fight. Here's your reward. Here's your villa in Spain. You guys have done everything possible to help me out. See yeah, and then, react to from, that. and then from there, I mean, they can always then decide if they really don't like the guy, then they're on the inside. They can basically start the insurrection, mm -hmm. you know, from inside the, the corporation. Oh, and yeah. And try to, try to fix what apparently they made a mess of. Yeah, exactly. I would just say at this point, your big bad corporation has actually become their friend. They are inadvertently become allies with this company. So, uh, yeah, it's just a little plot tweak, but I would love to see that confrontation when they realize that they've been, uh, I, not necessarily duped, but that they've been uh, working on the wrong side. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there you go. 
Okay. And and if there's that, yeah, if that does not completely answer your question, he said it was somewhat urgent, which is why I, I, I threw this in because he he only said it a couple days ago. So there you are, Reverend K Hunt, if that is your real name. The, the other thing you could do if you really need to have a mechanic and you still want to make them the bad guy is that you make them sort of an Illuminati-esque kind of people and they have been pulling the players' strings and setting up situations this whole time. Mm-hmm. And the players have been follow- dancing to their tune, but it's been so Machiavellian that they didn't realize that they were doing it. So that but then at some point still makes them the bad guy and then the players feel like that they've been used. Right. And you could easily just spin it that way with one sentence, which is you, you didn't realize, but we've been playing you the entire time. Because <laughs> yeah, then they'll really hate him. Right. And I mean, yeah, you'll have really stoked the furnace at that point. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go on to the next one. Okay. We're good. Anyone else? Nope. Going once. PCs failing from Alvarant. Hey, Happy Jack's crew. Thanks for reading my last my letter last time there was something that i didn't convey properly in it however while my character was mind controlled well, this is the guy who went like four sessions right the char- yeah which and we all agreed to recap a bit we all agreed that uh, he went over and beyond the yeah. call of duty by going with the whole mind control thing he wasn't able to get out of it and but he left out some information so this is him sort of clarifying the whole journey he was on i did have some agency in what my character did and how it was done It was just that everything was filtered through the command to love the person controlling him. Uh, For example, when she was caught stealing, my my character showed his love by returning the items and insisting that she apologize to her victims instead of taking the saner route and letting her rot in jail. Stu did mention this filter on character agency, but I wanted to confirm that is what happened. As to the topic of players failing... I wanted to tell you what happened in a different campaign in this group. It was still the hero system, um, but it was a fantasy setting. One of the characters, Brenda, had a drinking problem. Oh, I should mention Brenda is being run by our alternate GM in the other campaign I told you about. Early in the campaign, Brenda woke up after a night of drinking with a man named Klaus. Klaus was a sorcerer and self-professed future evil ruler of the world. Good on him. Uh, He also decided Brenda was going to be his queen and would not take no for an answer. Klaus appeared several times in the campaign, always with the goal of making Brenda his. His plans included hiring assassins to kill the rest of the party, attempting to sacrifice her real boyfriend to demons, and finally trying to turn her into an eldritch monster so he can ha- later cure her. This attracted the attention of some higher beings in the lawfully aligned plane, and they put him on trial. His defense attorney was a demon. <laughs> This is Our awesome. fantasy games get ridiculous sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, yeah, but this is this is great. Our defense attorney was a demon who blamed everything <laughs> on Brenda, while claiming Klaus was the real victim. The demon claimed it was it all was Brenda playing with Klaus's emotions, and nothing she said could be trusted because of her drinking problem. We had no time to gather physical evidence before the trial, and the testimony. Of of the other party mem- of other party members was challenged and twisted by the demon attorney. The prosecuting attorney did nothing. It was his first case. It's, it's like I, my cousin. Like, I, I see this picture of you know if this gauntlet does not fit. Yes. 
<laughs> my cousin Vinny. Is there more? How do you? How can you be so sure? <laughs> then it was my turn to take the stand. The first thing my character did was to swear an oath to tell the truth, even going so far as to willingly be put under a temporary guise. Is it guise? Gaze? Gaz? Is that a word? Yes. <laughs> it's a D&D &D word. Oh. From the early, early days. It's a spell that compels you to do something. It's actually, uh, I think, an old English think word. Is it keys with a J? Is, I, is it oh, gibbering, geez. gibbering? <laughs> oh, it's it's nice it's, to know you listen to the show. Maybe though. it's G's. I was under a G's. <laughs> that's, that's, I, that makes sense. Now you go, ah, G's. I'm pronouncing it that way from now on. Uh, to do so. The demon objected and the judge agreed since it would interfere with my character's free will. I then proceeded to use the demon's own tactics against him, asking how Klaus could believe the words of a drunk and how he couldn't compare to Brenda's current boyfriend, a manly blacksmith who could satisfy Brenda sexually. <laughs> what? <laughs> Remember, he's under a keys. It's a blacksmith. <laughs> right. No, oh. he, they were, he wasn't put under the keys. Oh, okay. He was willing to be put under the keys. Um, there's a lot of songs about blacksmiths. Yes. And the size of their hammer. Right. I then turned to the other players and said, yes, I am that guy on the internet. Sadly, it didn't work. Klaus was found not guilty of the crimes against these higher beings, as his crimes against us mortal folk were none of their concern and released. Klaus said he would no longer pursue Brenda, but who believes the word of a guy who has a demon for a lawyer? It is too. Uh, it is too soon to tell if Klaus is going to keep his word. Personally, I felt this would have been the perfect time to remove Klaus from the campaign, as his story had run the course. We left with the impression there was no way we could have won; that our efforts were doomed from the start. If there's any way to win, we didn't see it. The experience was disappointing and anticlimactic. The only thing Brenda learned from the ordeal was to hide her drinking and stop drinking in public. This letter is longer than I expected, so I'll end here. Keep the good work and drink up. Alvert. Alvarant. Alvarant. With a I, feel like a, I feel like there's a chapter missing, like where the PCs get some, like, you know, some artifact or something and show up in Klaus's domain and just, you know, in the middle of his living room, just run them through and leave them dead on the floor. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I mean, it could be that this might be a slow play on the GM's part. To maybe this guy's going to come back, and now he's created maybe enough animosity for this NPC, where when it comes down to it, they, you know, what, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he's, ha he's made that, a recurring nemesis, is what he's made. Ha having that guy that you just can't pin the thing on or whatever gets in, can get very frustrating. But when you finally do get him, it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah, and, and I think as a subtle hint to the GM that it's time to kill Klaus, just don't take any other bait for any other plots. Just every game, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're planning to kill Klaus. And just, <laughs> everything you're doing is just working towards it. The GM will eventually get the hit, hint that it's time to put Klaus on the chopping block. Yep. If he's not... I mean, this is sort of almost a GM NPC, it sounds like. He's having a lot of fun with Klaus, and it hopefully doesn't do a Batman-Joker thing, which is he always gets the Joker, and the Joker never dies, and always comes back, and keeps coming back, because mm -hmm. the Joker's you know, very precious. So, 
I, I think the GM may actually have to come to the terms that he may have to ax Klaus because if the players are getting pissed off about it, then he needs to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's coming off as anticlimactic. I mean, it's okay to lose. It, it's okay to have lost that scene. But if that's, you know, and then Klaus rides off into the sunset unscathed, it's incredibly unsatisfying from the player's side. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be another chapter, and, you know, you hope that that's the chapter the, the players will take advantage from. I mean, there's a saying in writing that says, you know, when you're editing, kill your darlings. Yeah. And then the, the, the same holds true for GMing. I mean, you need to kill your darling NPCs. Mm-hmm. Well, Preferably, and, let your players kill them. And, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's it. Ultimately, the players do need to win. I mean, you you, you can make yeah. them lose a couple of times, and it just it makes like you say it whets their appetite for that final big ending. But uh, yeah, just having them ride off unscathed, like neener neener neener, it is a big you know yeah. neener to the players. I agree. Keeping the game mechanics and flavor separate from Conrad, who would like to read this one? I will. All right. Dear Happy Jacks, greetings from Germany. I had contemplated sending in a voicemail to forestall this email being read in a stereotypically German accent. This is a letter from Germany, ya? Yeah? <laughs> Though I couldn't quite tell whether you still accept those. Without any autobiographical digressions, here is my issue. I appear to be playing with a group of apologetic min-maxers. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> apologetic or unapologetic? Apologetic. Apologetic. Oh, we're really sorry we're like this. <laughs> we can't help it. <laughs> While I believe that having fun vindicates any style of game so long as it isn't at the expense of others, I am even more firmly convinced it's the responsibility of both players and GM to contribute to the game's quality by identifying and communicating one's preferences. My players seem to have deluded themselves into thinking that they know what they want better than I do. <laughs> they think <Yeah>. honestly. <laughs> hmm. That might be the first problem. That's ignorant fools. <laughs> They've unanimously declared themselves to chiefly enjoy RP, exploring the setting, complex scenarios with no easy answer, and shared narrative control. Yet during our games, it appears that they slowly sink into a torpor during the corresponding (laughs) sections of play, drifting off and showing very little emotion or enthusiasm. Until combat begins! Uh, (laughs) Suddenly they're wide awake and listen with rapt attention. I believe you're familiar with this type of player. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not a min-maxer. No, no. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, combat. <laughs> Enough of this jibber-jabber. Let's have a combat. <laughs> Gibber-gabber. Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't judge them for their preferences. I simply don't share them. Worse yet, this particular group seems unaware of their own taste! Exclamation point. Now I have considered that I might simply be bad at keeping non-combat sections interesting. Like most GMs, I am an insecure control freak. However, let's assume for the sake of argument that this isn't the case. It would then appear as though my players felt ashamed for min-maxing, as if they needed to justify it somehow. The matter usually comes up when a flavor is attached to an optimal solution. To use D&D terms for simplicity's sake, just because a spiked chain is mechanically ridiculously efficient, they'd pretend to like, or even convince themselves that they like, the flavor of a spiked chain. It would surprise me if someone wanted to play a half-drow, half-ogre, half-slime for more than the pluses. Wow, I really misread that word first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at first glance, it doesn't look like pluses. Okay. 
And Bonuses would have also been an acceptable term. Right. <laughs> At least it's not a big black clock. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I just heard, is it? <laughs> In an attempt at self-medication, I've tried switching systems and talking to my players. Savage World seems a likely pick. I thought it'd be different to optimize. Difficult to optimize. Nope. Excuse me. Hindrances in particular are a wonderful way of playing an interesting weakness and being rewarded for it in the metagame currency. They also serve as a means of player communi- Wait, I lost my place. Means of communicating to the GM what one wants out of a game. For example, a player who wants to explore the tension between the well-laid plans he so enjoys crafting and having to adapt to unforeseen circumstances might pick up the cautious hindrance. Despite attempting to explain as much, the characters I was handed ended up being allergic to gooseberries <coughs> or afraid of the open sea in a landlocked campaign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hindrances is dump stats, right? Yeah, nice. <laughs> Sir, I think, yeah, these are not apologetic yeah. min-maxers. <laughs> allergic to gooseberries. Okay. Fate or Savage Worlds attempt to straddle that line between acting as the character slash player slash human who naturally wants to succeed and the writer who recognizes that always winning is hellishly boring. True. By mechanically incentivizing complicating one's own story. One could even argue that XP and D&D fulfill a similar role. You attain strength by seeking out conflict slash flights. Fights. Read. In essence, my players tell me they want the latter, yet act the former. Is it likely I am misinterpreting my players' signs? How would you suggest I go about explaining to them that they need not be ashamed of their taste? Is there a system that goes even further in allowing players to build flawed, interesting characters in different flavors that all end up being equally strong? I don't think a power discrepancy between PCs is always bad, but I'd like there to be actual choice. You shouldn't be punished for liking a gold sword over a steel one, even though realistically, steel makes better weapons. And does it make me a dick that I have included three gooseberry dishes in the last session? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your advice, the entertaining show, the wonderful music, Gray Fun Align being a personal favorite. Oh, mine too. And sitting through this terribly long email, <laughs> I recommend a few German beers to you, but I found that exports taste wildly different. Uh, regardless, please take a drink. Conrad. P.S. Continuing with my theme of overinterpretation, if Stork is present, I'd like to give voice to the enormous man crush I have on him. It takes a strong character to play along with every joke, particularly those at one's own expense. Please be careful your self-deprecation does not become depression. Oh, no. Oh, too late. It, uh, the, the depression gene runs deep in my family. Uh, it's, it's, no, that's, I'm already depressed. Don't worry about it. I'm already there. This is a unmarked rel puzzle. Please don't touch. You're going to be looking at it. <laughs> All right. So uh, to address this, I guess, I don't know if they're unapologetic, as Stu says. I think that they pretty much are min-maxers. This is what I think is happening. It's hard to find GMs. Yes. <laughs> These guys really want to play a game. Mm. Yes. Maybe he has expressed an interest in running a quote-unquote... drop something. Oh, it's one of the, I think, one of the unused it's cameras. Oh, okay. No, it's actually... Wait, it is an unused camera. camera. <laughs> this is the one. It's tur turning. There right. he is. Right. There he is. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's very it's very hard to find GMs. These guys really want to play in a game. This guy has probably stated that he likes to run games that are heavy on story, light on combat. Mm. They really want to play. Mm -hmm. So 
they did what's called lying. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, oh, no, no. Yeah, we went We're totally yeah, fuck, fuck min-maxers, man. Those things, those guys I think suck. they maybe <laughs> overstated their case a little. <laughs> Exaggerated their love of role-playing. <laughs> that, that's my theory. I think that's what happened. Because um, they really want to play it. And to fix it, I mean, you mentioned it in the email. I think that you might just want to embrace the fact that these are the types of players you have and maybe cater to their tastes a bit more. Yeah. Although, yeah, try um, try X Crawl. So X Crawl is like X Crawl is basically the WWE meets Dungeons and Dragons. Have you guys I, ever heard of it? Before? I've never heard of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a game where player it it's ta- it takes place in an alternate future, which um, I don't even want to go into the whole past, but it takes place in an alternate future or alternate presence present. Sorry, that um, there is a game show called X Crawl which looks like a Dungeons and Dragons games and these professional athletes go in and fight monsters for fabulous prizes and treasure. That's awesome. And it is. It's it's the perfect place to just let min-maxers go crazy mm-hmm. because you can throw whatever you want at them in whatever crazy rooms you want because you don't have to have any dungeon ecology or make sense of any part of the dungeon. They slug it out, they ham it up for the camera, which will give them some actual role playing uh, experience because you can do the you know all the tropes that you would see some like in wrestling or pro sports um, and just and completely cater to their love of just you know pimping out some uh, you know some Pathfinder characters and <coughs> setting them you know setting them loose. So it's like Running Man. Yeah, it's kind. Of, I mean, it's a dungeon theme though. Like they have swords. There's no modern weapons. There's actual magic in the world. So there's spellcasters. And uh, there's a dungeon judge who's basically the DJ who sets up the rooms and, <laughs> you know, makes the players, like, do all this crazy stuff for treasure and prizes. There's a, a whole comic series that Marvel's putting out right now called Battle Planet, where basically it's that's the theme. They basically put all these different characters together and they have to slug it out in a gladiatorial ring. So, yeah, it, it, this is that from Goodman Games? Yeah, that's I'm from Goodman to, Games. Okay. Yeah, it was, from, it was from another company years before that when Hand it was to uh, head third publishing. edition. Yeah, Panda Head. And then it moved over to Goodman. Okay. So it's still in publication then. So you can, you can oh, get yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably through Drive Through or any one of those online oh, yeah. sources, I'm sure. Absolutely. They, they would probably love that game. That, and, that, and that would let you know whether you've got guys that just want <laughs> combat or. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an acid test. Like, you know, you'll know instantly that they love it. Right. Are they sitting on the edge of their seats and paying attention to every moment? And, and, and I think Savage Worlds might be a good game for them. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was going to suggest that. GURPS, I think, is too fiddly. I think that they'd have a lot of time getting lost. Because I, every time I've tried to build a GURPS character without your, your guiding hand, I fall down the rabbit well, hole of power If they, if they really are mm-hmm. closeted min-maxers, they're going to take GURPS or, worse yet, Hero. Girl, and they're going to... they're playing? I don't remember. Are they playing Hero? I think I they're remember. playing Hero. That was the last guy. Okay. Wasn't it? That was C- the last Carry one. on and I'll see. Um, that, there you're going to know if they're min-maxers right away. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with Hero, because, I mean, it's so flexible. But right. so, some, it, it was something like, like Savage Worlds, you can make a min-max character. There are things you can do to, oh, yeah. to game pretty much any system. But Get your, 12, your, 12, your D12 plus 2 strength on your, you know, on your beginning character. <laughs> right. Or I remember Tappy made a character <laughs> once where he made sure that every all of his all of his dice were d4s because they explode 25 nah. percent of the time <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, he had some. I, he had a combination of edges that let him roll like multiple dice, but he made sure all of his weapons used d4s. Uh, I thought, are you talking about his his rogue that one shot of the troll? Uh, it, it, I don't think it was a troll. It was a giant. Yeah, I think he had this yeah. rogue, and he built this character, and he just and the dice kept exploding, and, and, he's, and he he's rolling like four d fours. Yeah, that's <laughs> and it's like oh one exploded, exploding more exploding, and, and his wild die. Yeah, and he yeah he one shot it. Yeah, it was also a very 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 good roll <clears throat> as well. But yeah, I think um, yeah I think yeah he, you definitely have. <laughs> he's aware of it because he mentions it in his email. So I mean. It sounds like, I, geez, if, I think it sounds like you're dealing with bin-maxers. You may want to cater to their taste. If that's what your group is, yeah. that's what your group is. And yeah. here's the thing. If you play XCOM for a while, because it sounds like they can make up new characters every time and try it, they might start... X-Crawl. Sorry, X-Crawl. Mm -hmm. They might start pining for the, the campaign again. Like, XCOM, it was fun, but it kind of missed the stories you used to tell. Aww. So maybe you'll end up getting your game going again anyway, just through, uh, <coughs> you know, scratching the itch enough. Mm-hmm. Question for the Happy Jacks crew from Max Supernova. Greetings from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I think that's a pseudonym, too. Yeah, Manitoba? <laughs> <laughs> I think you totally made that up. That's Just not a real place. place. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a candy. Uh, I'm a 45-year-old gamer that started with AD&D First Edition <coughs> as a young teen and played just about everything that TSR put out in the 80s. I'm sorry about that and generally spent most of my time and money on role-playing and tabletop games. In my early 20s, I got involved with a group that did very free-form gaming, some diceless and other things that were really strange to this hardcore TSR player. I was eventually completely converted to cinematic, low-mechanic play styles, and I've been firmly in the camp ever since. My new wife and I have moved cities, and I lost track of the group and hobby. 20 years and five kids got in the way, yeah. and I'm only now getting back into the company. Yeah, no, five kids. Five kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. That's a, it's a lot. Yes. <laughs> That's like 20 years worth of diapers. Yes. <laughs> only now getting back into things. My teens are the most enthusiastic players, and I am having a great time bringing them into the world of tabletops. I was very happy to hear your podcast, as your group sounds just like the one... That brainwashed, uh, I mean, converted me to less formal gaming styles. I love the way you all seem to run short campaigns to explore an idea or make up new systems and see how they influence the game. For every campaign I play, there seems to be five more systems I want to try or five more ideas to try out. And hearing your campaign ideas and stories help me live some of that vicariously through you. I am now a dedicated listener on my many car trips to pick up and drop off teenagers all over <laughs> Hell's Half Acre. You've kept me sane while I sit through the car waiting for teen girls to leave a party. You there know what? Is no Five kids? Praise. That's optimal size for a D&D &D party. Yes, it is. <laughs> he just bred his own group. My current D6 Star Wars game is quite freeform and cinematic. I don't use maps or figures, and I try to let player actions determine the next step of the plot. I usually don't prepare much for a session other than having a sandbox world that is, has some really good environmental and political detail. My players really enjoy it, and we've been playing for over a year now. They've been having a blast getting involved in all sorts of intricate plots and some crazy shenanigans. Now, uh, he did say his kids are playing. I don't think it's... It sounds like he's got a group that isn't just his kids, right? Is that what I you're getting so. from this too? Okay. Yes. Here's the question. My players are team boys, 
and they love their equipment details. I hand wave just about everything, so it really doesn't make any difference at all what make and model of blaster they have as long as it does D4 damage. However, they spend hours making equipment lists and finding equipment on the net and photoshopping pictures of their weapons and making sure that they are very clear about exactly <laughs> what equipment they have on them at any given time. <laughs> this is the only area of the game where they, where either they or I go into any sort of detail like this. For most of the rest of the game, it's so <laughs> rules light, they hardly ever need character sheets. I want to recognize that, that they are doing because it's obviously important to them, so I want it to matter. How can I throw them some acknowledgement that I see the effort that they are putting into their character equipment? What plot ideas can I use to uh, pay back the time that they are putting into it without it seeming too blatantly obvious? Thanks so much for keeping me excited about gaming up here in the Great White North. Hey, take off, hey. Where it seems everyone just wants to play 4E. Signed, Max Supernova. Okay, who wants to give them the most blatant answer? I think you should, because I don't know if my answer is the most blatant one. Oh, okay. If you want to reward your players for some kind of preparation, make it, make it worthwhile. Give them a situation where, yes, that, that, that you decided to take the, the, the wooden stake and the, and the bottle of holy water. Look, there's a vampire. All right. Mm -hmm. you know, make it, make them, make them right. Okay. They prepared yeah. X, Y, and Z. They brought X, Y, and Z. Give them the exact situation where that's exactly what they have to have to, to get through it. I thought maybe That's you were going to give them give them like a Benny Award kind of thing that no. they could spend on. It's like, wow, no. you've, you've been made. So, you spent so much time. Here's something. <clears throat> make make their efforts and their their attention to that detail worthwhile in in the yeah. story. That's the most satisfying way to do it. Yeah, even little things like have uh, you know at the cantina because they're playing Star Wars. Have a uh, NPC compliment one of them on their choice of blaster. Mm hmm. You know, just, I mean, just that little bit, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, or have somebody ask a question about it, that kind of thing. There's mm -hmm. there's something that occurs to me, um, and it's something we used to do in a Traveler game, um, but I, it, it harkens back to a movie I once watched with, with, with Raquel Welch, right? Remember her? Uh, it was called Hanny Calder, and she plays, this, she plays this abused woman that's going to go after her parents or her husband's killers and they murder children and everything. And so she ends up going to this, this bounty hunter played by Robert Culp, who is probably the best role he has. He has glasses on. He's this old bounty hunter. But they go down to the beach in Mexico where there's this custom weaponsmith played by Christopher Lee. And he designs and makes from scratch a pistol that's light, that fits Annie Calder's shooting style, and they teach her how to shoot and how to become a killer and all. I think it would be really cool if your players were to find a gunsmith or a weaponsmith and they could custom make their weapons. Maybe give them a plus mm -hmm. one or something with their custom weapon. Mm -hmm. And that way they can design the stuff, all the stuff they want. And there's a monetary value. They pay a little bit of money. It may not be immediately available. So when they get their custom weapon, you can give them a plus one or a plus two or something to range or to damage. And that way they've taken ownership and created this cool weapon in game that they can now get to use. And then, of course, in the cantina, people are like, it's a nice blaster you got there, kid. You know how to use it? <laughs> right. Right? Um, I, I think that that's a cool mechanic in game because that way you're going to be, they're going to spend all this time building these weapons and making cool things and, and they can take them to, and you guys can have this whole role-playing session where now what is it you want and have them gripping wax so they can get their fingerprints and having, you know, going through various scopes and which, you know, how, right. and then say, well, if we do this, it's going to get the weight. So, and calculating the pluses to it. And I think that that would scratch their itch. And mm -hmm. then anytime they want to upgrade, they can go back to him and add new stuff or have a new weapon made. Right. I also don't think you yeah. need to worry about being too blatantly obvious with teen boys. They're just going to like recognition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
teen boys like to tinker. That's why you know, they used to have uh, sports cars because uh, the kids would be under there building stuff and you know take them out. That's kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. And this way, you don't have to get your hands dirty. Because <laughs> <laughs> hello, Star Wars. Right. All right. Uh, I got this one. Go. Go. <clears throat> All right. Quick question, Josh from Ohio. Hey, douchebags. I have a quick question. Is D&DI worth the money? I've been gaming for 14 years now, and I've always done my character creation and encounter creation out of the books. I'm soon to be starting my brother's D&D 4E solo campaign, and he brought up splitting D&DI. Mind you, currently the only gaming we are doing right now is just this little solo campaign. Thanks for your insight. Josh from Ohio. Does it even... Take a drink. Does it exist anymore? DDI? Ohio? How old is this email? This week. (laughs) I think it's from this week. Maybe it's still around. To be clear, let's clarify what is DDI because I know Chris doesn't understand. DD Interactive was the set of online tools that uh, Wizards of the Coast came out with uh, for 4th edition DD. It came with a character builder that incorporates all of the feats and of three some thousand feats from all of the splat books. Uh, it's got a monster uh, th- for the GM. It's got a monster catalog where you have all the monsters and all the books. You can level them up or down mm-hmm. for the depending on the level of the party. I'm trying to think what other stuff they put in there. There was an encounter builder, right? There's mm-hmm. some random generators. Th- well, th- there's a bunch of stuff they promised they were going to do that right. they never did. Right? Uh, there was supposed to be an online map. That never. That never happened. Yeah, that um, Watsi has a, has a is, seems to be famous for pissing off their their software and their coders and and they just they never complete projects because for some reason they I don't know what it is they've lost three or four different companies that way I don't know the but it, is it worthwhile if if it still exists and I'm trying to do a search to find it and it's not coming up so I I don't even know they're they're D and D interactive no I, I don't even know if it's around anymore if it is. For fourth edition D and D, it could be it's kind of a double edged sword because, like I said, there's like three or four or five thousand feats in there, and uh, if you see someone takes a feat using the character builder, and then you realize you don't have the splat book that feat came right. from because there were a lot of books. <clears throat> uh, maybe I don't know. I I don't yeah. think it's ne- it's not necessary. I made characters by hand when we first started playing. Later on, it I think it became. A little cumbersome to well, do. I know you liked it jamming wise because you were able to uh, scale monsters uh, yes. to the party on the fly. For that stuff, it was worthwhile. Uh, being, I want to have the players fight a beholder. Well, there's no beholder that that's not going to totally TPK a party of third level adventurers. So I take the beholder and I just start hit the down arrow and it changes its stats and makes it a smaller, weaker, lamer right. instead of a beholder. Right. Um, and that was kind of nice. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it certainly makes 4E, if it's still around, it certainly makes 4E uh, easier to prep and run. I, I mean, the game was always made to be done with, you know, just from the books, but, I mean, honestly, software did make life a lot easier, and, you know, I think the character creator put out your uh, powers on cards and all that stuff, so, I mean, it was... Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, and that's was, probably I mean, the handiest thing about it, yeah. 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 That, so, it, I mean, I would look to see if it's still kicking around. It might be. Maybe someone else picked it up third party or something. I don't know. Yeah. They're talking about paying for it, so it's strange. I don't know. 
40 solo, uh, he brought up splitting D&D insider. So I'm assuming splitting the cost of it. Yeah. And there's a P here's a PPS on this, um, which we can dig into. What's your favorite way to start a campaign or quest? <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, I usually uh, like to start right in the action. So that... Mm -hmm. So that there's really no none of that whole you meet in a bar and we don't trust each other and you spend five sessions of not trusting each other and never leaving the bar. I kind of like to start it with a prison or you know you guys are all standing in the line in the bank and something mm -hmm. happens or you know, because that way you, you everybody's already in it together and then from there they can you know if mm -hmm. it's a superhero game yeah you all happen to be in the area at the same time when the mole man appears in the street that kind of thing. Yeah, I I like I like in I like in the action as well. I mean, in fact, roll for initiative is you know probably the best way to start. I agree. I, I, yeah. I, I was gonna say a, a fight in a pub. I yeah. love that, that's how I started my the longest campaign I ever ran was that way. It's started with a fight because I wanted to see how the combat system worked. It's a good variance <laughs> on you meet in a bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you get into a fight in a bar. I I just looked. I found it. Uh, D DDI still exists. It's, it's D and D Insider. Okay. Hmm. I thought it was interactive. Huh. Uh, and it's got the old D Dungeons and Dragons logo from 4th edition on it, and it's under archive.wizards.com. Is it free? I mean, nope. I seem to remember that you'd be able to nope. get like the first three levels for free, and then you had to pay for it. Ten bucks a month. Ten bucks a month. And if you if you buy a year's worth of months, it's five ninety five a month. Hmm. Mm. So it's it, it, it it's there. Why so the bigger question is, is, how long do you think your brother's solo campaign is going to last? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the even bigger question is why are you playing 4th edition D&D? There's a 5th so edition better, that's pretty snappy. There's and you can get the free 5th edition <laughs> which will get you going for a long time. Mm -hmm. And does not need software support. Right. Right. <clears throat> but it it yeah, I mean I, I had when I ran the 4th edition game I had it and I used it all the time as a GM mm -hmm. and I know most of the players used it cuz I think you can have when you buy an account, there's like you can give access to a certain number of people. I'm trying to remember how that worked. I seem so to remember not, that not everyone had to buy it because it's like the GM could buy it and like three, two or three people could use it to make their yep. characters and stuff. I don't remember exactly. It, how it they is had really handy for the GM to scale encounters for sure. And for players, you really only need it when you hit tiers because you're going to hit, you know, you play and you can write in whatever feat you get. But when you hit a tier, that's when you get all the new powers again. Because remember, at every what is it, every ten levels or something, you're, you have to reinvent your character's powers, which always pissed me off. Mm -hmm. So and then it comes handy then because now you have to go through the books again and find out what your what your new skill set is going to right. be. And when and it is handy for leveling your character because you, when you do level your character, it says okay, you get either this or this, and you can right make all those choices. It's just telling you you don't have to like book and final right. So there you go. Thank you, Max Supernova, if that's your real name. <laughs> was that Max or was that... No. Yes. No. Was that was it? Josh. it was Josh that from was Ohio. Josh. Josh, Josh from Ohio. Thank you, Josh from Ohio. And good luck on the solo campaign. Uh, good show, but from Alex. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> I've listened to one episode of your podcast, and uh -oh. I'd like to pass on my opinion of it, which is that you have a great podcast with a group of smart people uh, with lots of cool and interesting ideas, and you have a good discussion, but Big. okay. You oh, you know, I actually, I, I think I answered. I answered this guy privately. Oh, did you? Yes. Okay. Um, but I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, but you really, 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 really need to either add more structure and planning to your scripts, 
or edit your podcast? No. That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> or, or preferably both. And I don't literally mean that. I mean, I'm not telling you to fuck off. But, because I, I, for those who are listening to the podcast and not watching the YouTube video, I, I pointed my middle finger. That was the sound of a bird flying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is, if season 15, episode 2 is typical of your series. Which one the, was that? Was that the one I with the Angry GM? That might have yeah, been I think that's the Angry GM one. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, that's hardly typical, sir. Uh, I think I may have even told him that, too. Because that's that's the one that broke the three and a half hour yeah, mark. You're right. And, and that people I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to make a confession. Go ahead. I, I saw how long that episode was, and I listened to you guys weekly, but I saw how long that episode was. I was like, uh, no, no, you guys have had a backslide or something to previous uh, <laughs> to your previous habits. I, I skipped that episode. I was like, oh, no. Nope. did you really? Did you? Well, that's why he's on now and still likes us. Cause. <laughs> well, you know what happened? I was on vacation, and so my podcast, like my podcatcher got like like flooded because I couldn't listen to anything while I was you know on the road with the kids. So I was like trying to desperately catch up to all my shows, and I'm like, okay, got through this show, got through this show, and I'm like, three and a half hours, guys. I'm like, seriously? I'm like, no. <laughs> Phil, I I want you to do me a favor, and at some point, listen to it. You don't have to do it all in one sitting, but I want your opinion of of Angry because he's he's very people either love him or hate him, and there's no gray area. I remember the I think the time before that when he was on the show. It was earlier pretty, this year, I think. Yeah. yeah, I had a pretty good laugh about it. I mean, I didn't, you know, I mean, yes, he is controversial and a you know a bit volatile but i kind of just took that in good stride i i thought it was kind of funny <laughs> i the, the, some of the most fun i have on the show is when he, uh, you know what though i got an eight, i have an eight hour drive to gen con so <sighs> perhaps go. i will just <laughs> load up. up and for the first three and a half hours i will uh listen to you guys with angry <laughs> and have well, some good laughs while we're driving it sounds like you get his stick because i think most of the people that have complained really didn't get it mm. Oh, if you take him seriously, then yeah. I mean, I think uh, you know, I think you'd have a lot of reason to be pissed off. Oh yeah, but. that's the clearest explanation. It's, if you take him seriously, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I frequently became frustrated by the sheer amount of goofing around, off-topic meandering, and drunk banter. Uh, that stuff is entertaining for the people taking part in it, but not so much for the listeners who are genuinely interested in hearing you discuss and answer listeners' questions about RPGs. Uh, I enjoyed the hour and a half of RPG discussion in this three-hour podcast. <laughs> I have three hours and 25 minutes, yeah. I believe. Uh, but I'm not sure I will bother listening to another episode. I realize that you have been going strong for 15 seasons, so maybe I'm in the minority here. Just thought I'd share my opinion. Well. Happy gaming, Alex. And I did respond to him. I said, okay, that was an angry GM. This is our longest episode. You might want to listen to like the episode prior to that or the one after that. Yeah. Then again, if off-topic conversations bother you, this may not be your cup of tea. True. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not very structured. No. Uh, Maybe it's time to rework the opening where you've put all the other disclaimers in in it. And <laughs> Maybe there's a few more disclaimers to add in, in into it. I don't know. That's awfully close to having structure. <laughs> if we start to outlining there, they had at the beginning of the show. Uh, and then he, he actually wrote another thing after that. Um, uh, I've been thinking about that, uh, that episode's discussion of metagaming in combat, whether it's good role-playing to be all tactical and clever in combat. Uh, something I would like, I would say that did not come up is that one of the things D&D does really well is provide character archetypes that line up neatly with player tactics. For example, if you're playing a barbarian, there's a good chance... That from an RP perspective, your character's preferred tactic 
is to charge in hacking and slashing while screaming like a mad person. Except if you're playing in a hero game with uh, somebody who should not be named, in which case you get punished for that tactic every <laughs> time you do it. Not D&D. No, true. Not Good D&D. point. Uh, well, because of mechanics of the barbarian class, that is also a sound tactic for you as a player from a metagaming perspective. And yes, those are scare quotes. He put quotes over metagaming, uh, most of the time. I think the same holds true for all classes and subclasses, assuming a fairly well-rounded party. I guess this is an extension of what Angry said about each rule or game mechanic representing something in the game world. I think it's really important on... A broader scale, though, because for me, the whole point of RPGs is that the story emerges out of the gameplay. If the two are at odds so that you have to sacrifice one in favor of the of the other, then you're, you're doing it wrong. Scare quotes again, since, of course, it's different... That would be me. Sorry. I forgot oh, to turn oh, my that's right. off. No, no worries. Uh, scare quotes again, uh, since, of course, it is a different different things for different people. So, I guess that's true. I guess they... Classes do... People, people are uh, attracted to play certain classes of characters, and maybe their tactics go hand in hand with that. It depends, though, because, like, Stork... Oddball Stork makes a character who's a... What, what was your character in that? Fourth I was a ninja. Because uh, no, no. the time was 18. <laughs> that was a... What was your character in the D&D 4th Edition game? Uh, he was a wild talent sorcerer. He was a sorcerer, but you played him as like a fop with a sword. Right, because the whole idea behind wild... The, the whole wild magic or sorcery is that it, it's they're just they're accidental magicians they don't know the, the, how they get magic they don't even know how they do magic they just do it right. so I thought how fun would it be if this guy from a really privileged background suddenly becomes magic he doesn't know how he's doing it mm-hmm. and the whole arc of the character is that he starts as this sort of pampered fop and ends up this hardcore bat- bitching because sorcerers can be really powerful later on we never quite got to that point no. I just kept pissing off the entire comp- the entire <laughs> group <laughs> you were playing D&D wrong I guess. At least 4E. It really is not designed for that. Even though I thought the, the wild magic sorcerer is, is a lot of fun because there's a sort of this, it's chaos magic, and they even call it that. Oh, yeah. For those interested, DDI, uh, on someone in the Q&A put in dnd.wizards.com slash digital underscore tools takes you right to the legacy hmm. D&D 4th edition thing. Excellent. There you are. I had no idea it even still existed. It's well, if it's a subscription base, they don't want to lose the money, so they're sure. probably. I bet they haven't updated it or fixed it or done anything to it. They're just taking in cash for it. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, it's got the character builder. It's got the compendium, which I think was all, where all the monsters are. How you build the the dealy bobs, um, the adventure tools. That's got the monster builder in it, and then of course Dragon Magazine and Dungeon Magazine. So all of those feats that were put in those magazines, like because they would have a couple, thing. they're yeah. all in that thing. So. Although I, I seriously doubt they're making issues of those anymore. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing: if you're going to use that, everybody has to have it because people are going to, like you said, people are going to start pulling feats out of that builder because they're in the builder, and you're not going to know what they are. Right. That's like a blast to the past. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at it, because oh, when is Dragon like- Magazine going to come back? Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't there's think it, that there's that iPad app now that um that col- the, it collects like a whole bunch of D and D stuff, but I mean it's not Dragon. I forget what it's called, but there's an app there's an app that you can get for like your iPad or something. It's like Watsy Insider or something, right? 
Well, there were there was like piratey apps that someone had came out with because you at one point, I guess the way they had set up the database for DDI, you could download the whole thing, and someone had an Android app or something. I seem to remember this for a while, or an app on something where it had all of those stats for like all the monsters in it or something. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then it got killed because it was a yeah, copyright Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then there's, I think you might be able to find some not legal, I don't know if they care anymore, um, um, Excel builders as well. Oh, right. Uh, spreadsheet. You click on the cell and a lot of that stuff works too. Um, yeah, the math was pretty well figured out. I wouldn't be surprised if people had some programs that kind of did all that stuff for you. Oh, yeah. I would think so. The more I think about it, the more I think that, it, you know, like if, like I said, if you're going to use the Insider, even if the GM's going to use it, you might want to just let everybody, because it does give you this huge variety of feats. And the problem is that once they started adding all those feats from Dragon and everything, the, some of those feats are really good and really powerful, and it negates a lot of the other stuff that happens in the books. In fact, most of the, it makes what was printed in the books useless. What? I know. Tom <laughs> over the core game? What? Uh, please. <laughs> All right. So yes. what's going on over at Misdirected Mark? Uh, so we're, you know, we moved up to the live show like you guys. So mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday nights, uh, 8.45 Eastern, we are uh, recording live. And uh, we're doing some of that. And uh, the Encoded Designs, which is basically Chris and I and um, a few others. Uh, we have um, two, uh, Sean Merwin and Bob Everson, Tim Jones. Um, we uh, just finished uh, putting out a new game. Uh, it's actually a game conversion. We did uh, Part-Time Gods of Fate, mm-hmm. which was a conversion of Third Eye Games' Part-Time Gods, now in the uh, Fate Core flavor. And uh, we're actually, we're after we get back from Gen Con, we're starting right away on the two stretch goals from that Kickstarter. So we're going to convert both of the supplements, because, you know, supplements are good. They didn't ever top them, but... <laughs> <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Are you going to have a builder that comes out soon at some point? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. No, it's fate. Uh, it, it's it's a lot easier. Um, yeah, no, so we're uh, yeah we're working away on that stuff, and uh, I've been uh, working on a fate-based cyberpunk game that I've been... I've, been, I've left it open for... It's on the Mr. Mark uh, podcast community on G+, but I'm doing it actually... Um, in a in a methodology that's used for software called agile where uh, instead of writing all the rules at once uh, each each time because I take I run the game every two weeks so in between every two weeks I write the rules I need to run in the next game so I'm doing it in like this iterative style called agile and so the third iteration the third iteration of the rules are up on the up on the site for uh, for people to see do you and, end up- uh, do you end up writing rules on the fly at some point? Sometimes at the table, if something comes up and we don't have something, we'll quickly throw it together, uh, write it down, and then I'll put it into the next cycle. And I mean, what we, what, the way we did it was two weeks before we started playing, I wrote the character creation rules. And then we made characters. Uh, and that actually took two sessions because it is a little slower when you're designing it and fixing it on the fly. <laughs> uh, but this week, we're actually playing the first game. So we have like enough rules to cover... Uh, making characters, hacking cyberspace, and gear. And then, like, I have no rules yet for advancement. 
because we haven't played a game yet. So next, you know, next iteration, I will start working on the rules for how to advance characters and things like that. I didn't know there was a name for that, Agile. I, I usually we just call that playtesting or bring it because Stu's sort of been doing the same thing. He would write but a bunch of rules and I, check it out. I was an idiot and I wrote the whole all, everything first. Oh yeah, and then went through and oh, I got to change that. That's got to be fixed. This is different. That ain't going to work. And, and yeah. Yeah, it's an actual. I mean, it's. It, I used to work in application development, and so it, it is a. It is one method for creating applications, and um, it's good because it handles changes really well. So you know, as we start to write stuff, we realize, oh, we you know need to fix this rule, or oh, we forgot to include rules for you know how to improve gear after you've bought it, and so we just write that down as a note and stick it into a list that says, okay, well, in a subsequent in a subsequent iteration of writing the rules. I'll pull one of you know. I'll pull that card out at some point and start working on it. I don't see it as much different than what you're doing, Stu, because at some point you is. have to have character creation and you have to have like you know a, a basic stats or something. So it's, otherwise, it's like all right, we're going to create characters. Like, I don't know how to do that yet. I haven't made it up yet. You can <laughs> well, come up with something. Tell me. Yeah, I, I mean, when it, when, it, when you're coming up with a game, you have to there's certain things you're going to have to figure out. Like when you're doing the character creation, you kind of want to know what your dice mechanics are going to be like too. Well, I don't know. Time. Make it up. Right? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you made a lot of early decisions system Well, you know, we started by using so this is this game's fate-based. So, we started Oh, with, so it's not know, really a role-playing. Game. Oh, right, right, right. right. <laughs> Story game. I don't know what the hell. I'm <laughs> that was if when you listen to the Angry GM episode that oh, he, he goes off on that, that for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that'll be good because I—it's not like I'm a huge Fate fan, so that'll uh, like in there with Jib. Jib and I are in the on the Fate boat, so. Yeah, both of you have the, drunk the Kool Aid and Mook as well. Mook like the Mook like the Kool Aid as well. Did he? Yeah, he's been trying to incorporate some of that into his GURPS games. Because mm-hmm. you know the Mook, right? So yeah, so that you know we're working on all that stuff. It's um, it's pretty busy, but. It, we've we've now like I've I've slowly started when I started encoded I started it um, a year ago because I wanted to make this um, fantasy uh, RPG which I still haven't made yet because I'm uh, I'm like taking stepping stones by developing th- these other games but um, I don't know my, why Phil it's not like you're not doing anything else all week jeez you know, you know <laughs> well I mean the the idea is that slowly though we've been kind of um, it's it, the company's like a really hippie commune like we share all the profits. Um, we kind of divide up. We, we divide up the work. I mean, Chris, right? Chris and I design most of the stuff. Uh, Sean is actually a full-time editor. Uh, Bob's proofreader, and Tim Jones is our, um, which was my best um, move in the last month. Tim is a graphic artist, so he does all the things that uh, Chris and I did poorly, like uh, Illustrator and um, uh, laying things out and all that stuff. So. Um, we just we just gave Tim for Gen Con. We gave him like all of the character sheets to do, and he came back with these like awesome laid out character sheets. And I was like, oh, so much better than if I had done it. <laughs> and in like a, you know a, like a quarter of the time, if I had tried to to make character sheets. So <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're trucking along. I I didn't think it was gonna get this like this big with this many people, but um, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so. Do you want to We're brag about your Kickstarter a little bit? Did you get a lot more money than you anticipated? <laughs> we actually did. Um, yeah, we started. It was it was a pretty modest uh, Kickstarter. It was only for $2,000 because uh, we didn't have to buy any art. The art was going to be repurposed from the original book. So when we talked to Aloy LaSanta, who's, who runs uh, Third Eye Games, and he actually organized the Kickstarter, 
he said, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll do it for 2000 which is basically to pay, you know, you guys off. And uh, that'll be fine. Well, that funded in 12 hours. <laughs> oh, congratulations. And, and so, yeah, thanks. And so people were like, yeah, where are the stretch goals, guys? And, you know, we weren't <laughs> planning to do any stretch goals. Uh, <laughs> so Loy that's and smart. I are, yeah, Loy and I are on Facebook uh, Messenger talking to each other. And he's like, well, how about the source books? And I'm like, all right, let me take a look at the source books. So I came back and I was like, yeah, I'm like, the source books, we could totally convert. And I actually, uh, as a freelancer, had written part of one of those source books called Minions of the Source. So I was pretty familiar with that one. And uh, I was like, yeah, we could actually do those. And so um, both of those funded uh, before the end of the campaign. And then I, wisely, Aloy was like, that's enough. That's enough stretch goals. We don't need to go crazy with it. And so I think it topped out just shy of 10K. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, for 2000 Ask, that was great. And in fact... Um, we were so far along on the manuscript that um, the books are already in people's hands. So it, it finished up, I think it closed on the 3rd of July. The Kickstarter closed on the 3rd of July. <laughs> and everyone has their books now. <clears throat> That's Winning. awesome. You just, you just gamed Kickstarter. And, you and, just won and, Kickstarter. Yes, you did. Yeah. That's rare. That's not only not late, but early. That's amazing. And you gave them yeah. what they asked for. You gave them everything you promised. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I, I mean, I think that's, I, I, it's somewhat of a tragedy when you see, uh, you see these, like, big, big Kickstarters, and people are like, oh, we're going to do this and that and this and that, and, you know, and then, like, weeks go by, months go by, and, you know, it's a Years. lot. I mean, I mean <laughs> when you promise, like, a line, I mean, it, I mean, that's tough if you don't have everything in place to, to do that. I am, uh, I'm a big fan of modest Kickstarters, like, I am not attracted by more uh, stretch goals. Mm -hmm. I like, I, I mean, I like when I see a Kickstarter that's small and compact and, you know, has what looks like easily achievable goals. I, I'm, you know, that, that to me makes me uh, more comfortable. Now, I'll mm -hmm. put a caveat on that. If you're somebody like Monty Cook Games, like who, you know, that's like a total pro shop, then launching your entire line like they did for Numenera or The Strange, that's perfect. Like, those guys are more than capable of delivering a full line of a full line of games. But when you see like independent people who get like a runaway Kickstarter, it's okay to just tie that thing off and say, "That's good enough." We'll come back and make more Kickstarters later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I watch some of these things and I wonder, like, oh, and then, and if we get to this goal, then we'll add these things, and everyone's going to get this stuff. And you start worrying, wondering about. I mean, uh, the the ogre Kickstarters, the one I think about. Hmm. Did they make yeah. money on any of those? No, I'm no. pretty sure they. I'm pretty sure the shipping cost from China alone <laughs> um, ate up most of the cost of that Kickstarter. That because that thing got crazy. And it yeah, I mean the box is like twenty pounds. It has a team lift. Like my Christmas tree has the same logo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lift with your back thing, right? Or lift yeah, with your legs. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have looked like three times. I've thought about buying that game, and I can't find a place in my house where it would go. Right. <laughs> it will like, take the place my... of your coffee table. You just have to put a cover yeah, over put it. Legs. I just put legs on it. Let the kids play around <laughs> it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a killer. I, I'll tell you where I'll tell you there was a Kickstarter that just closed the other day called Undying, which is um, oh, that's the vampire one. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's like the, the it's the vampire game I always wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, what they did was um, instead of crazy multiple uh, stretch goals, they started unlocking making the hardcover book better and better. 
Like, they were like, well, if we get more money because people back more hardcovers, then we're going to go to 80-pound paper, then we're going to go to stitch binding, and, and so instead of having, like, 20 other products, which will take forever to come out, you're just going to get, like, this awesome, awesome hardcover book. It's going to look like the Necronomicon, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's bound in actual yeah. skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they actually found skin on the black market. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's clone skin. It's clone skin. Otherwise, right. it's unethical. Yeah. I, yeah. I've actually... Yeah, you, uh, can, you can skin clones. I've actually backed some modest Kickstarters, and I'm still waiting on the rewards. Yeah. And I've backed some big <laughs> Kickstarters, like Reaper Minis. I never, I don't know how they made money on those either. And they kept adding a mini. It seemed like every week there was another mini that they unlocked and added. And I, I can, could not understand how they did it. They're considering they had three of those, I think they've... Um, I mean, I'm, I think they have a formula that just totally works. Like, I think they... They know, and they know they're going to clear so much money, and and they just, I think it works for them, and I think it's a great model for them because it allows them to create huge catalogs of minis later because yeah, all, once right. the molds are paid for, the I, rest is like almost profit. I don't think they're molds, my friend. I think they're all 3D printed. I think they have like no, a bank no, no, of 3D No, 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 there's printers. no way. There's no way. You don't think? That would take way too no, long. That, that would take Way long. too expensive. It's okay. yeah. not, not scalable yet, I don't think. They're, I'm sure they're injection molded. Okay. Yeah, if you and look the molds, at them, in fact, I'm I'm positive they are. All right. Yeah, and the molds are the expense. The molds are the expensive part. So if the Kickstarter buys all the molds and they break even on the Kickstarter, then they just can offer those minis in the future, at a you know, and they're just in the black. So right. it's it's a really smart model. I bet they, what they probably yeah, do then plastic. is use the 3D printing to make the mold, and you can make as many as you want because with the Maybe. everything's stored digitally. I think that they I think they actually use sculptors. I think sculptors actually make those things. Wow. Yeah. Old That's school. Um, yeah. When you go to Gen Con, you see all those people who have late Kickstarters who like to, instead of posting updates on their Kickstarters about when their game's going to be out, they post how much fun they had at the last Gen, Gen Con. Yeah. You and Ask I, them for us. You and I are a little pissed about that same Kickstarter because yeah. I really enjoyed his game and it was a not a very, mo it was a modest Kickstarter and it's not much too much ass, just the book and it still hasn't come out yet. Mm. Yep. But he's traveling a lot. <laughs> Oh, those are the. You know what? Those are those are heartbreakers. Those yeah. are. Uh, yep. I don't think it's going to ever come out. To be fair, he was sick. I mean, but but right. that was like two years ago. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I've been, that, I haven't I haven't put a gun in a Kickstarter Since in a long time. And that's why. Yeah. No, so. I went full. I went full tilt on that um, undying one. Did you? Yeah, I, I, looked like, oh, at, I looked at it. I'm like, no, no, it's Kickstarter. Now, ever, <laughs> ever since Traveler Five, I've been a little leery about what I back. Oh God, what an albatross! Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that thing is like the ogre game. It is. That's, it's, it is it's enormous. I I opened it. I tried to read through it. Uh, I eventually just said, I'm never going to run this and it's stopped. Unwieldy. You know, you know what kills me about that is that is the game that originally was the little black books. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, these little thin, thin books that are yeah. what, maybe fifty pages like, each. I, I'm, I'm really in Dave's camp with that. Is that Mark Miller stepped out of the eighties, got out of his DeLorean from the eighties, and said, "Stand back, you kids! I'll show you how to make a game." Swipper snappers, you don't know what you're doing. We got this massive Kickstarter and put that out, and got back in his DeLorean and said, "Bye bye." I, no, I never played any of the later Traveler games that GDW or, and whoever made, except for Mongoose. This may be the end of that evolution because it yeah. Mega Traveler may have started because I never played it. It yeah. may be it started getting crazy huge. It did. It so did. I don't know. No, well, we should end the end the episode here. It's twelve thirty. 
So. Yeah, we don't want another three-hour episode to piss Alex off anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't need that. And in fact, uh, I was going to say, Alex, if you really didn't like to go back to that, the hate mail, if you really didn't like structure, I mean, you could probably check out Phil's. It sounds like he has a lot more structure than we do. Yeah. No, they don't... They don't uh, they don't, we got they don't edit we anymore. Actual, I get, no. We don't edit, but we have segments. We do we have, have segments. Oh, we have segments. I have segments. I have a thorax. <laughs> <laughs> He's an ant. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna end it. Thank you for joining us for season 15, episode five of Happy Jacks Energy Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Chris. This is Stork. And I'm Phil. And thank you very much, Phil. And um, everyone go out and get his book. Get all three of them. Get the trilogy. Yeah, right. Get, yeah. Get, there you go. Do that. Thank you very much, and have you back on again at some point. Thank you. All right. Enjoy Gen Con. I will. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week, and we'll leave you with a song. One more day 
on the great follow line. I'll pass the time like some machine until blue water turns to green. Then I'll dance on sail the gray funnel line no more it's one more day on the gray funnel line the preceding program has been a presentation of the angry folk media empire Bum 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 bum